Uh, this is day two of this October, November 2023, seven-day Sashin. I'm going to continue reading from the book Subtle Sound, the Zen teachings of Maureen Stewart, uh, edited by Roko Cherry Chayat. Roko Cherry Chayat. <clears throat> yeah, picking up, <clears throat> picking up from yesterday, uh, she uh, she says, every day we chant the four <clears throat> four great vows. <clears throat> In chanting them, we are reminded again and again of what our work is. It is an impossible task. How can we sincerely vow <clears throat> to do what we cannot do? So question that bothers a lot of people. It certainly uh, rolled through my mind uh, in the past. How can we sincerely vow to do what we cannot do? Save all beings. These vows are Buddhist vows, and in Buddhism there is the understanding that the I of I vow, this intentional I, is an illusion. So the first realization with these vows is that I cannot undertake anything. And with this, the first step in our path is actualized. I is the obstacle, and we get rid of it. So now we put our palms together with a different attitude. Not I vowing, but giving myself up to the carrying out of the vow. If this attitude of giving ourselves wholeheartedly and completely is truly practiced in whatever we are doing, the touchiness of I, the stiffness of the ego, is softened. Just as we experience in Sashin, there is no thought of I doing anything. And in this softening, our suffering is decreased. The burden of self. It's maddening, seeing everything from the thought of a separate self. So many things are difficult. I like what she says, the touchiness of I, the stiffness of the ego. And we may have experiences, especially right after a sashin, where all of a sudden there's just nothing in the way. Remember when my son was a, a young teenager, <clears throat> probably the worst part of anyone's life, coming home and something was said, I don't know what, and it just flowed. There was no problem. Can't even remember what I said in response, but I wasn't offended. And it made a difference. It was it was remarkable. <clears throat> it's hard to stay with that. We're easily, easily 
thrown back into our habitual stiffness and touchiness. This is a long path. But we notice if we keep at it through the years, it is a little softer. Something that isn't in the way quite as much. That continues and grows. And life becomes easier. She says, in this softening, our suffering is decreased. This softening is also the preparation for the working through of our passions, which we all have. Our emotional reactions, great or small, are aptly caused, called in Buddhism the fires, the fire of sadness, the fire of loneliness, the fire of anger. Could add the fire of resentment, fire of despair, fire of impatience. fire of disgust. She says, with the attitude of giving ourselves, we can also give ourselves to the fires rather than avoiding or refusing them or being carried away by them. Usually we refuse to come into contact with those fires or we give in and are carried away by them, swept away. We are not willing to suffer their irrational force And so it remains wild and in need of humanizing. Neither refusing nor letting it rip. This is compassion for ourselves. Giving ourselves into the fires again and again and again. They will consume me, which is a real purification. They will consume the ego. With that absence of that ego, the fuel is gone and the fires revert to what they have ever been, our own true Buddha nature. If we can just remember in that moment where we're being swept up to stay home, to see what's going on. What's going on in the body? always there for us. As we become more accustomed to staying home, to knowing what's going on in our minds and in our bodies, it becomes a refuge when we're threatened, when we're challenged, when we're doing something we're a little afraid about. We can go there. Trust it. How do we learn to go there? By practice, by doing it. First, maybe we can only do it when it's easy. But gradually, our capabilities expand. She says, the central core of Buddhist practice is anatta, no I. Nata or anatta 
It's a uh, Sanskrit term. It's one of the three characteristics of existence. There are, of course, suffering is one, impermanence another, and finally, no self. It's nothing and no one that has a separate self. She says, with this illusion of I gone, everything can be seen as it really is, different but not separate. There is no clinging, no alienation, just a warm connection with what is. Buddha's teaching began with suffering and the way out of suffering, and he taught us through his own life, his birth, his awakening, and his death, the way out of loneliness, separation, and the fear of death. If there is no I, if the shell of I is cracked, the liberation of the heart naturally shines forth and acts in peace and joy for all beings. This path, so clearly shown to us, is a way out of the illusion of I, a way out of loneliness, separation, and fear of death. Only I can fear Without I, there is no fear. It says in the Heart Sutra, no hindrance in the mind, therefore no fear. When that ego shell is cracked, the wonderful warmth of the human heart is released. It is liberated, it shines, flows, and acts. True Buddhist compassion warms and inspires us on the way. True Buddhist wisdom lights our dark places and helps us out of our suffering. It helps us feel peace and joy for all beings. At the end of the Bodhisattva's vow, we chant, may we extend this mind over the whole universe so that we and all beings together may attain maturity in Buddha's wisdom. What is our Zen practice if not this? I like that sentence. Evidently, uh, some Zen centers, that's chanted after the four vows. May we extend this mind over the whole universe so that we and all beings together may attain maturity in Buddha's wisdom. Everything is only hard when there's an I. This illusion that's so deeply embedded, trying to protect. Scanning the horizon for threats. Bristling up at insults. Turning on ourselves when this eye has failed. The lighter we carry that, the easier everything is. We see that so clearly in Sashin. If you have nothing to protect, your burden is light. And our natural joy, the joy we felt as children, can come out.
<clears throat> Moving on to another chapter, another talk entitled Ordinary Mind. Somebody said to me, it says in the precepts that I should not become intoxicated. I am intoxicated by Zazen. And Maureen says, indeed, this is a wonderful addiction. Drench yourself in it. Drink as much as you like. More, more, more. With this kind of intoxication, we become more in touch with everything. Literally and figuratively, our senses become very keen. We smell, taste, and touch with a new kind of awareness. And the intuitive mind becomes more sensitive as well. We find that there is less confusion in our lives, that we are more wide awake. By committing ourselves completely to our zazen, by accepting everything as it comes, we become freer, more open, more alert, more vividly alive, sparkling. <clears throat> Anthony DeMello talks about this addiction. visit him for a moment. <clears throat> for anybody who doesn't know, he's a Jesuit priest, um, died a while back, I'm not sure, maybe 10, 20 years. I've read this a number of times. For me, I found this really, really helpful. He says, if you desire to change what is into what you think should be, you no longer understand. A dog trainer attempts to understand a dog so that he can train the dog to perform certain tricks. <clears throat> a scientist observes the behavior of ants with no further end in view than to study ants to learn as much as possible about them. He has no other aim. He's not attempting to train them or get anything out of them. He's interested in, in ants. He wants to learn as much as possible about them. That's his attitude. The day you attain a posture like that, you will experience a miracle. You will change effortlessly, correctly. Change will happen. You will not have to bring it about. A life of awareness settles on your darkness. As this life settles on your darkness, whatever is evil will disappear. Whatever is good will be fostered. You'll have to experience that for yourself. <clears throat> but this calls for a disciplined mind. And when I say disciplined, I'm not talking about effort. I'm talking about something else. Have you ever studied an athlete? His or her whole life is sports. But what a disciplined life he or she leads. And look at a river as it moves toward the sea. It creates its own banks that contain it. When there's something within you that moves in the right direction, it creates its own discipline. The moment you get bitten by the bug of awareness, oh, it's so delightful. It's the most delightful thing in the world. The most important, the most delightful. There's nothing so important in the world as awakening. 
nothing. And of course, it is also a discipline in its own way. Gradually we get this taste. Seems like we have to find out again and again. But when we're not trying to change our circumstances, when we're just trying to be completely with them, when we're completely still, sitting in zazen, not fidgeting, not cogitating, not scanning the horizon, not waiting for the bell, just able to be right there in the moment. It's wonderful. but of course we have to do it and that's why we're here and in the process of doing it we're going to fail we're going to spin our wheels we're going to hit bad patches, going to get bored, going to get tired, going to have pain. There's no other way than through it. But somewhere we know this is where we need to go. So we're willing. We understand it's always there. Just need to let go. She says, each of us contributes in our own way, working at whatever is given to us to do with mindfulness and gratitude to this practice. We just do it with our whole being. This place is glitteringly clean as a result. And this makes our practice go more clearly, Sashin go more smoothly. This is our zazen really going into daily life, clearly offering ourselves for the sake of all sentient beings and grateful to all sentient beings for what they are doing. <clears throat> she says, in drenching ourselves in this zazen bath, we are giving up our fixed positions, giving up our past, our thoughts of the future. We are just here, eating the food of the moment, bite after bite. We know there are no quick solutions to our personal koans, no sidetracks, no quick exits. We cannot blame our problems or our relationships on somebody else. We have to take full responsibility, sitting here with ourselves. Nobody can do this for us. Begin, we begin by accepting things as they are. How can you argue with that? What good is it to look for who's to blame? Whether you blame someone else or you blame yourself, what's the point? She says, we seek security, we seek peace of mind, but we cannot grasp anything. Everything is continually changing. 
When we see this, we are no longer bound by the need for security. We are suspended here in a place in which the only thing to do is to get in touch with the teachings and ourselves. The only place in which to begin is within ourselves. Nobody can do this for us. Nobody can carry our packages. Nobody can carry our burdens. We have to work with the richness of our own experience in everyday life. We only know whether things are cool or warm when we experience them ourselves. Somebody else can't say to us, that's cold. We must taste it, feel it. We cannot take the reports of other people's experience as our own. If you put your hand on your heart, it does not beat because you think about making it beat. Nor do you need a medical definition of what a heart is. The power beyond definition is making it beat. The basis of our Zen practice is the reality of our life, which goes beyond all definitions, beyond any words. That reality cannot be buckled up by a definition. You can't put it in a little pigeonhole and say, there, I have it neatly tucked away. We are responsible for ourselves as followers of the Dharma. The path and the inspiration are up to each of us. As far as our way is concerned, human beings are extremely important, but we must not interfere with one another. We must have wisdom as well as compassion in our actions. What is this compassion? Somebody told me he had heard stories about how lacking in compassion Zen practice in Japan was, that it was so cold and austere. This does not seem to me to be what Zen is about. Compassion and wisdom, karuna and prajna, are our practice. One without the other is no good. Compassion without wisdom is mushy. Wisdom without compassion is cold. This business about the austerity and the coldness of Zen practice in Japan sure is true in, in some cases. It's also a different culture. I think uh, Roshi has always said that in, in Japan, sometimes the master would actually whack the student on his skull with his katsu. <clears throat> and this was treasured as a mark of how much the master cared about the student. Uh, to me, it's a little foreign. Please don't hit me on the head. <laughs> Maybe it would do me some good. I don't know. <laughs> One of the real tasks of anyone who's working on Zen in this country is developing a Zen practice that fits the people. <clears throat> Roshi Kaplow used to talk about that quite a bit. It takes hundreds of years for Zen to adapt to a new culture. How it will evolve, we don't know. can't think it out. 
just have to do our best. We have to be present, to notice and respond. She says, how do we show compassion? With passion, with fire, with energy, with life. A very simple way to show our compassion is to leave the bathroom clean so that the next person who comes finds a wonderful place. We don't leave a little sign there saying, I did this for you. It's just done, and there's that clean place. Another way to show compassion is to do our work completely on our own for the sake of the persons who come after us. We are independent and dependent on one another, and each one of us must be as clear as possible about our condition, then we may be depended upon. Our practice is one of intuitive awareness. It's not a matter of calling up some rule and saying, it is the fifth precept I must follow here. What does the occasion ask from us? In the spontaneity and creativity of Zen, we can see what really exists. Opinions merely clog things up. We lose the essence when we judge. We see what is in front of us. We experience this ordinary mind, this radiant, spontaneous, ordinary mind on the way. I get a little... Uh, concerned when people uh, feel that through their spontaneity and creativity uh, they will be assured of naturally following the precepts. Sometimes it's good to have some, some guide rails So a lot of the precepts in other in other centers have been rewritten, so there's a lot more leeway. There's a reason for the precepts. It's a reason for the prohibition against taking advantage of other people sexually, of drinking to excess. Once you start making excuses and saying, well, actually, by hitting on this person or that person, I'm helping them, Uh, even though they suffer, (laughs) they'll grow. Of course, that's bullshit. <clears throat> when I was when I was drinking, I'm one of those people who shouldn't drink, um, <laughs> as I discovered. Uh, when I was drinking, I used to be very fond of a, a saying from Carl Jung: "said an honest drink would no man deny." But a friend of mine pointed out, you know, John, I'm not sure that's an honest drink. When our when our reason for drinking is to 
repress the stuff that's painful and we don't want to face to slide through life anesthetized it's not an honest drink when I announced to my mother that I had stopped that was it for me she was a little alarmed and she said well surely you can have a glass of Christmas cheer nope (laughs) it's just easier easier for me doesn't mean we have to be rigid doesn't mean we have to look at other people and say they should do what I do I find still that sometimes people are more fun when they're slightly lubricated so I can benefit (laughs) without the hangover Again, she says, opinions merely clog things up. We lose the essence when we judge. When we see what is in front of us, we experience this ordinary mind, this radiant, spontaneous, ordinary mind on the way. When sitting in Zazen, if we let go of our bodies, remove our minds, what do we have? A clear, pure condition, free from delusions. In this condition, we're like a flash of lightning, free to come, free to go free to feel pain, free to grow old, free to die, free to express our Zen in our own way, to express our Buddha nature in everything we do, think, speak, and act. Sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Our Zen practice requires intense Nen. It's a Japanese term. Uh, Thought of this instant. It says, intense Nen or present mind. But to this nen, we add the bodhisattva's vow that we and all beings together may attain true wisdom. With this vow, our dualistic, discriminating mind disappears. We no longer think, I am doing this work, I am doing this practice, or this is my practice. All of this melts, and we come to feel that subject and object, in-breath and out-breath, are one. We inhale the whole universe Exhale to the whole universe. There is no gate between us and it. on to the next talk it's entitled giving it away it's easy to say just become simple plain ordinary don't think about the past or the future just live in the present moment how difficult practicing together we learn more and more moment to moment that we cannot apply what worked in the past to this time this is completely different everything must be done in a fresh present tensed way the old rules don't apply we must pay attention to what the present moment asks of us when the future that we expected is here and may be entirely different from what we envisioned so what is the use of all that worrying about how to deal with it Wei Nung that's of course the sixth patriarch of 
of Zen in China. Wei Nun tells us, we will never grasp anything by thinking about it after it has happened. If our minds are clear, we will see our original nature at this moment. If our minds are not fuzzy, not painted over by some fixed ideas, not held in thrall by old ways, old traditions, our original nature can be seen immediately. Wei Nun also says that if we hold on to an evil thought, we will destroy the cause of a million years of virtue. What does he mean by an evil thought? One such thought that causes us a lot of pain is resentment. It may make us feel quite superior to say to someone, I forgive you. Things quiet down, perhaps, but the pain and resentment may be pushed down into our unconscious minds and a rigidity comes to the surface. We may say, I'll never do that again, but how do we know what we will or will not do again? True forgiveness brings a great change in our hearts. We are always talking about open-heartedness. Not easy to talk about but and difficult to do. It is easy to talk about but difficult to do. What is it to truly open our hearts in forgiveness? It is to see all the blows of fate we have experienced, all the rejections of the past, present, and future, all our weaknesses, weaknesses, as part of a darkness that has helped to bring us to more light. It's an advanced understanding to see that the thing, the pain we suffer <clears throat> changes us for the better. There's a prayer somewhere, may I have the appropriate difficulties so that I may open and grow. Welcome difficulty. Hard to do, but it is it is galvanizing changes everything. She says, we are engaged in a practice of looking in the mirror, seeing ourselves clearly, seeing what is real and what is an illusion. How can I extend my Zen practice to all my friends? Someone asked me. We cannot do anything but allow the fruits of the practice to come through us in our spontaneous response to whatever is asked of us wherever we go. Just unselfconsciously and spontaneously responding to circumstances with an open heart and mind. This is our practice. It is the only thing that we can do. We cannot plan to extend our Zen practice to this person or to that country. Who knows what will be asked of us here, there, or anywhere. <clears throat> we don't just decide that we're going to bring Zen practice into our lives. Our practice is the foundation of our lives. We cannot unearth the root and say, this is what I'm going to live by. Zazen is the root. It's what we are experiencing day by day through our bodies 
as much as through our minds. We can memorize all the sutras and shastras. We can read innumerable books. We can search for some key phrase we think will enlighten us. We may try to grasp all these words, but eventually we will forget them. What we will never forget is what our bodies have learned. Our bodies remember what they experienced. They heard in certain places to teach us something. If we let the breath go through the entire body, it naturally sits up straight. We don't have to fix it. We just have to pay attention. Our bodies teach us through pain, through weariness, about what we are resisting. Why are we so rebellious that we get this little knot here or there? Why do we fall asleep? Why do we become bored during Zazen? It's usually because we are really afraid to find out who we are. To sit together in the Zendo is paradise. During Sashin, when your knees are hurting, you may not think so, but what a wonderful opportunity it is to be here together in this clean, clear stillness with everyone participating with delicious food offered to us three times a day. All you need to do is let everything drop off to experience deeply what we have here together and then take it home with you. All I can do is encourage you, sit with you, hit you when you ask for the kisaku, insist that everything is meticulously taken care of in the house, maintain a strong atmosphere. The rest is up to you. So please, let go of all those contradictory concepts, wash them all away. And remember that this Zazen mind is not some trance-like state in which you zoom off into the stratosphere. You don't lose consciousness, you remain absolutely present. You just give up your discriminating mind and become absolutely clear and wide awake. This is what Bodhi means. Enlightened. Awakened, wide awake. As Anthony DeMello says, there's nothing more wonderful. Don't keep score. Just keep coming back to that awareness. Be grateful for the opportunity to do the work and know that what you're doing is helping others. The power of Sashin comes from everyone's efforts. And all of us go through difficulty, have to deal with discouragement, find ourselves grasping at results. Just keep waking up. All the work is done in this moment. There's no point in regretting the past. You can't do anything with it. Still very early in Sashin. For most people, these first few days are the toughest. 
but already things are beginning to settle. Don't worry about performance. Just join in. We're here to learn. We're here to make mistakes. We're here to open up. <clears throat> Our time is up. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. <clears throat>